0: Okay, let's let's begin with, with prayer, shall we? Father, we're grateful that you've brought us together again on this Lord's Day to worship and to have our hearts lifted before you in confession and forgiveness and praise and, and Lord, the hearing of your word. And I pray that as we press into this subject matter today and next week that you will guide us and be gracious to us and Let us know, Lord, that you are for us and you're for our families, and and I pray that we'll walk in the humility and the hope of that. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, Well, good morning to you all. Um, This is a a two-part series um, this week and next week on our children and and worship. Um, I enter into these kinds of conversations, frankly, with enormous amount of fear and trepidation. In fact, just this morning I was uh, reading the prayer with my one of my sons, and um, he looked at me afterward and he said, Dad, you know that when you said that prayer you were kind of going blah, 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 blah. I'm not sure you took it all that seriously, right? I was like, well, <laughs> thank you. Um, you know, this, this is, uh, is going to be an exercise in humility for me today, and I think maybe for all of us. So, two-part series. I want to do today talking a little bit about the family and our children as it relates to corporate worship and then as it relates to worshiping in our, in our homes. So, um, uh, a few introductory comments, actually um, four of them. You, you all just stream on in. I'm, I started a little early. Um, the first thing to say is something about um, the Christian life and, and parenting. All right. So I want to say a little bit about the Christian life. I I genuinely believe that the Christian life probably um, is maybe not best, but at least understood as what the old uh, Reformed theologians called mortification and vivification. That is, being put to death and being made alive again, and that happens again and again and again. Or, another way of putting this is, um, you've heard us say that a lot around here. Martin Luther's famous phrase that the whole of the Christian life is a life of of repentance. Um, I don't think uh, there are any areas in our lives, if I can just sort of, I'm going to be candid and honest with you this morning, um, where that is probably more apparent, at least for me, than in the area in the area of marriage and kids, right? I mean, this is an act of continual being put to death and being made alive again. Now, I should say something about this. This relates to the character of our God, the God that we worship. I mean, I genuinely believe that it is God's character. It's one of the ways that we can pick him out of a lineup and say that that's our God. That God is the one who takes things that are dead and he make, can make them alive again. I mean, that's He did that with Israel and Egypt. He did that with Jesus at the tomb. Um, so, Jesus, God, can take things that are dead and make them uh, alive again. And I genuinely believe that family, um, is a life of continued repentance. It's a crucible for the work of Christ by His Spirit in our lives. Um, marital life and family life, I, I don't know if you feel this way, but I think they function like floodlights to reveal rooms of our hearts that we didn't even know, um, existed. I've told this joke multiple, I mean, the story multiple times in various contexts, but, I remember when my wife and I were doing our premarital counseling um, and uh, we read this book by Larry Crabb called Men and Women. Have any of you read this book by Crabb? Crabb basically says that one of the major issues that men and women have in their relationship with each other is not just self-centeredness, but justified self-centeredness. In other words, like, I'm being self-centered, and, I, and I'm justified in doing so because of X, Y, and Z. And I can remember sitting in the, our pastor's office, and I actually was on staff at the church, and we were sitting there, and, and he said, Mark, Naomi, can you think of any potential areas... Um, where this might be a problem for you. It, my wife even thinks I'd tell this story wrong. But um, <laughs> she's, not, she, she's not here today. Um, but are there any potential areas where you, where you might see this to be a problem? And I, I think with as much sincerity as I can rem- remember, we, we, we looked at each other and I'm like, not really, na- no, not, not really. Right. And he didn't say anything wisely. I mean, I, I think that's kind of interesting because um, you know I, maybe there was a smirk on his face that I didn't notice, right? <laughs> But I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely convinced that, w- that there's something to our being happens when we say, I do. Like, it doesn't matter how much you know that person before. and like, When you say, I do, something shifts, right? And so I, I think we could have gone back into that same counseling situation two weeks after the fact and now had our list, right? We said, I do, two weeks ago. Ask that question again, right? We have some things that we'd like to say. All to say... Marriage is marriage is like a floodlight in our lives, and and just when we sort—I don't know—this is Marcel. Just when maybe we've got the grease on the wheels a little bit on that thing, then these children show up, right? (laughs) And now more floodlights come onto the scene. I genuinely—I mean, this is going to be a lot of moments of self-confession this morning, but I genuinely don't remember growing up um, in my adolescence, in my early teens, and even my early adult life ever struggling with anger I, I think I, I don't ever remember struggling with that and and I do now <laughs> you know I really do now um, so all to say um, living in grace is not living um, necessarily in autopilot on these things um, I say all of this because the area of children in faith and especially when it comes to children in worship, Um, Is an area of family life that, at least for me, is not on autopilot. Um, I, I wish it were, but in our family, and maybe this is the way for you, I've had to grow up, I think, in my views of what it means to be in a family dynamic. I genuinely, I was a youth pastor for five years. Gil and I, I think, have that in common. How long were you a youth pastor, Gil, or director? Ten years, no longer. I was a youth director for five years. That was before I had kids. I can, I can remember thinking these absolutely incredulous thoughts like, you know, just, you know, parents would say, fix my kid. And I'm like, well, you know, that's your job and you haven't done a very good job of it. You know, I mean, these sort of things. And, and then, you know, God gives me mine, right? It's like you're going to divine comedy at play, right? I mean, I really thought that you set in motion a certain kind of parenting model and you, you know, get that thing up to 30,000 feet, and then you just cruise till you land in Rome, right? I mean, it's just (laughs) what you do. And that has certainly not been the case. It's, um, I I guess I've heard pilots before define flying as hours of monotony interspersed with moments of sheer terror. Um, I would say parenting is hours of terror (laughs) interspersed with the moments of monotony, right? Um, So I think this is, I mean, again, I'm saying all this because um, I, I have some things I want to share, but I'm in the I'm in the trenches on this. Right? I mean, I've got a ten year old, a, a seven about to be eight, a four year old, and then um, you know, so I'm I'm in the trenches on on this matter. Um, this is a matter of deep um, uh, deep humiliation and humbling for for me, and I, and I and I imagine maybe maybe for for some of you it is as well. Um, and I'll say this again, being a little bit more testimonial and self-referential than I probably should. But um, this has been an area that, for me, has revealed both my pride and my sloth. I'm just going to get my pride in that. I have to ask questions like, why? Why do you care, Mark? I mean, what what's driving you and your concern about the way in which your kids behave in church? Right? This is the parenting as performance model. Oh, I struggle with that, right? I mean, am I really caring because I want them to hear these words that I believe can shape their hearts and their lives forever? Or is it because, you know what, it feels kind of, you know, it's a, it's a reflection on me and, and something like that? Or the sloth side of it is. Um, the kind of William Carey line, the fame, the, the founder of the modern missionary movement. William Carey was a Baptist minister that wanted to go to India and reach the heathen. And the answer from the, his fellow ministers was, God will save the heathen when he wants to, you know. And, uh, so that's my, well, God will take care of my children when he wants to. Um, I'm watching a game right now, right? Don't bother <laughs> me with that. Uh, so this is bothered, remember, with my pride and my, and my sloth. So I'm keen to hear from you all on this matter today when we have time to maybe chat about this. Uh, A a, a second matter of introduction. Children really matter to Jesus. I'm talking about children today. I know some of you are in different phases of life. But I'm struck by this. Children matter to Jesus. Let them come to me, Jesus says. Um, If your faith, Jesus says, isn't like theirs, um, then you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a quite a powerful statement from Jesus. Um second Peter chapter 2, I mean first Peter chapter 2 verse 2, like newborn babes who desire the sincere milk. I was talking with a colleague about this this week and he said this statement here in Peter is not a statement about immature faith. Like babes desire sincere milk, but a claim about what mature faith actually looks like. Newborn babies yearning for the pure milk of God's word. So here's something that I think has been a a bit of a gestalt shift in my own mind on this. God gives us children in a worshiping context like our church here and in our homes because they have something to teach us about what it means to be a Christian. The simplicity of faith. Simplified and directed desires. Pure milk. Dependence on the sustaining help. Of another. They're not ultimately self reliant as much as one of mine thinks that he is. All right. So, what is worship? I still think the Westminster Catechism provides perhaps one of the most clarifying statements about Christian existence. What is man's chief end? The first question of the shorter and the larger catechism. What is man's chief end? Toward what end do we live? The answer. To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Uh, Think about this. What is our chief reason to be? Why are we? To glorify God. God's glory is humanity's happiness. Our happiness relates to God's glory. Even our salvation, our redemption, is not an end unto itself, but we're redeemed for the purpose of glorifying God. Going back to that created moment where we were made to glorify God. Paul says it so well, doesn't he? Whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Um, Our lives exist for a purpose and an end, and this encompasses all spheres of life. Our lives exist to glorify God. Famous story about Spurgeon. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, late 19th century, Victorian preacher in England, maybe the most famous preacher of the 19th century period. Spurgeon was walking down the sidewalk in London, apparently, and he saw a young man, 13, 14, so the story goes, smoking a cigar. And he stops this kid and he says, Young man, can you smoke that cigar to the glory of God? And I think he knew who he was talking to. He was a little sheepish. And he said, I'm afraid not, Sir. And Spurgeon said, well, give it to me because I can. All All of life exists for the glory of God. Our marriages and our families are not ends in themselves. They're not a cul-de-sac. They're a conduit to something more. And that is the glory of God and his renown in the world. But the second part of this phrase to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever, to enjoy Him forever. I mean, what a strange statement coming from these stodgy Puritans, right? Can you think of a Puritan talking about enjoyment? But here they are. Our happiness is God's concern. And there is no greater happiness, there is no true joy to be found other than in God Himself. His glory is related to our happiness, and our happiness is related to His glory. I mean, think about this as it, as it pertains to our kids. I mean, what one of us does not want our kids to be happy? And we're not talking about this kind of modern, sort of flippant, ooey-gooey happy. We're talking about something that's deep and substantial, that defines them at the, their core as human beings that are flourishing that are enjoying the good, the ultimate good. And that does not exist, at least according to this statement, I believe scripture as well, that doesn't exist from a robust account of the glory of God in all spheres of life. So all of life is worship, for this statement here in the Westminster Catechism. Even though I'm going to talk specifically about corporate worship today, and we'll talk about the home a little bit next week, all of life is worship. That is something that I believe the Bible and the best of the Reformation tradition that we hold on to here at Advent, I believe that they would say with a unified voice that worshiping and glorifying God is not a silo in our lives, but it is the umbrella under which all of our lives are encompassed. That's where we find our existence. All of it is under the umbrella of glorifying God and enjoying Him forever. This is a huge shift in the way in which we think about all spheres of life, our pleasure and our pain, our vocations and our identity. Everything that we do, if you're a doctor or a lawyer or whatever you do, right? We do that to the glory of God. That's my primary um, existence and my my, my primary uh, means for living. And our worshiping lives throughout the week... Monday to Saturday, find their fuel and their energy and are gathering together on Sunday. There's an organic link, okay? All of that was introduction. Don't be nervous. We'll, we'll, we'll get through this. <laughs> now, um, I, I thought about this as I was wrestling with this and frankly, quite nervous. Whenever I do these family conversations make me break out in sweats. Um, but, two words that I want us maybe to walk away with today as we think about our children, our families, and corporate worship. And they'll probably be the same words for next week as well. And the words are intentionality, and the second word is faith. And they're not in a logical order. Okay, uh, If they are in that way, it should be faith and then intentionality. But the two words that I want to sort of stick in our minds as we walk away are intentionality and intentionality faith. Why do I say intentionality about Sunday morning worship in our families? I don't know if this is the case for you. Um, This weekend actually went a little bit better, thanks to the Lord, Um, but I actually feel like the devil seems to be in overdrive on Sunday mornings in our house. Does that happen in your house? I think I yell more between 8 and 8.35 on a Sunday morning maybe than any other time in the week. The devil is active. Last week, and again, this all stays in here, right? Cone of silence. Um, <laughs> last week, I mean, we had an, we one of our children had a meltdown last week before church. The consequences are being experienced to this day for that poor young guy. Um, I mean, but right before church, like, wait a, you know, wait to ruin our morning, right? Um, there just seems to be something about Sunday morning that's especially difficult, and I think intentionality plays an, a significant role and how we think about bringing ourselves in to worship together. Conscious thought and plan about our worship together in church. This is what I would call a non-passive approach to Sunday morning and what Sunday morning is about. Our family is together before the Lord to worship Him. We do these things together as a family in our confession of sin our active hearing of forgiveness, our forgiveness, our praise, our prayers, our listening to the Bible read, our listening to the Bible preached, and in the sacrament. We come together as a family and we do that on Sunday morning because we come desperate. That's the sense of intentionality that I think we bring when we come Sunday morning. And maybe some of these explosions that we have Sunday morning before church Are means of grace for us. The kind of gracious gifts from God to say, you know what? That's right. Get on to church, buddy. You need it, right? You need it. (laughs) So we come together worshiping because we find that our families together and our lives together before the Lord find their, frankly, our real point of existence there. Can I read this text to you? It's one of my favorite texts in all of Deuteronomy, maybe even all the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9. Would you think, I want you to hear this text carefully. Hear, O Israel. You know the famous Shema. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord. Now, if you don't mind if I gloss that a little bit, I would like to say, Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God. He is God alone. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. I mean, this is our beginning of our Eucharistic prayers every other Sunday. And these words which I commend you this day shall be upon your heart. I mean, if you asked, I mean, this was a debate and even in Jesus' day. Someone asked Jesus, What's the most important commandment? And what does he say? The Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the Lord alone. There is no other. So, what's the context here of Deuteronomy 6 4? It's the exclusive claim of Yahweh, of God, on the people of Israel. He is God, and He is God alone. There is no other. And His claims on you are exclusive, totalizing, graciously tyrannical. Don't love anyone else. He wants your love. And really, let's not get that in an overly romantic sense, although that, I think that can be attached as well in our feelings and affections. He wants our loyalty to Him. A loyalty that's devoted to Him because He is our God alone. So that's one of the most famous verses in all of the Old Testament. Matter of fact, I think most... Jewish thinkers would say that's the heart of Old Testament theology, right there, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. He is God alone. There is no other. And look at what the next verse is in verse 6, verse 7. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up and you shall bind them as a sign upon your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes this is i think a metaphorical verse that's been taken quite literally in the Jew- in, in Jewish in the Jewish tradition this is the background of the tefillin um, that are tied to the wrist or the or or or, or on the on the uh, of the phylactery on the head that contained a little bit of the of the uh, Torah in there right so they took it literally there but the point is whether it's on your eyes or at your hands, you bind this teaching that God is God and He is God alone and He has a claim on us and it's a claim that's based on His gracious choosing of us and drawing us to Himself, and we'll say in a a, a properly Christian way, in the person and work of His Son. And the first thing that Moses says is, talk about this with your children all the time. All the time. This is that kind of intentionality. When you're walking along the road and when you're, I don't know, cutting down some corn and when you're sitting at the table, it's time to eat. And it's just the normal part of the warp and woof of our conversation that we talk about these things. That's the intentionality here. Listen to what John Hole, a pastor from Boston in in the 18th century, early 18th century said. If you have any compassion on your children... Take pains that they may know God. And how do our children come to know God? The answer is the same way we do. Through the words of the gospel and the ordinary means of grace. Can I use the Westminster Catechism one more time? I think it's helpful in this context. Westminster Shorter Catechism, question number 88. What are the outward... An ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of his redemption. So here's the question. I'm very sort of kind of strange sort of Elizabethan English language there. But how are we going to enjoy and understand and know the benefits of what Jesus has done for us? That's the question that's being raised. And here's the answer. The outward and ordinary means... The, the, those methods whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption are His ordinances. Well, what are they? The Word, the sacraments, and prayer. All which are made effectual to the elect for salvation. I want to talk about this for a second. Now, there's another place in the Westminster Catechism that says that God and His good providence can bring people to Himself in whatever way He wants to. He can suspend and do, he can work above, beyond, through. God can do whatever God wants to in extraordinary ways. And, by the way, I, we had a, um, a missionary, Southern Baptist missionary, which is interesting if you got know the context of that, who was at Beeson speaking to our faculty. He had a special interest in um, reaching out to the Islamic world. And he said this in a, in a meeting, kind of blew my hair back, actually. Uh, again, especially coming from a rather conservative Southern Baptist he said, "I've yet to meet a Muslim in a Muslim country who has converted to Christianity that it didn't begin with a crazy dream. I've, I haven't met one yet. Um, Jesus, I mean, the stories he says are just repeated. Jesus comes to these people in a dream, and then, so uh, God can do whatever God wants to do in extraordinary ways, and we see him do it all around the world, but." What are the ordinary ways in which God's extraordinary redemptive benefits come to us? Answer, the Word, the sacraments, and prayer. And where do we do that collectively with God's people? We do it in church. We're coming together because we want the benefits of Christ's redemption to be communicated to us by God in the Spirit through Jesus, all for us in this particular context of worship. And how does he do it? He does it by the preaching of the word, the hearing of the word, through praying together, and through baptism and the Lord's Supper. That's the ordinary means by which God communicates his redemption to our people, to to us. And how do our kids come to know that? The same ordinary ways you and I do. Now this is, significant when it comes to our driving concern about intentional actions regarding our children in worship. Why do we come on a Sunday morning and why do we take this so seriously, so joyfully seriously? Not because they look so cute in their outfits or because they are learning to socialize with kids their age and adults or because we want them to become good citizens who check off the faith card along with the litany of other um, good character traits that are part of being enculturated into the South, right? Or because we want our kids to be around other good kids. All of those things aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves, but they aren't ultimate. We come as a family before God on Sunday morning because we as parents need the benefits of redemption communicated to us by jesus himself in preaching prayer baptism and the lord's supper we need those means by which god's spirit ordinarily operates to communicate that to us and what we know is that our children need this as well more than anything else in life this is the life-giving redemption of jesus christ for themselves so that's why we come together on a sunday morning all the other stuff frankly this is just accoutrements really and not necessarily insignificant accoutrements, but that's a they play a supporting role in this movie of Sunday morning. What drives us when we come together is we are hungry for Jesus, and, and not by the way um, abstract conceptual Jesus, but Jesus, the risen Lord, who is in our midst. And where two or three are gathered, he comes into our midst and through the preaching of the word and through praying together and through the sacraments, communicates himself to us by the spirit. And what we know, what we want for our kids more than anything else is they get Jesus. And the way in which they get Jesus is the same way that you and I get Jesus. And that's through these ordinary means. So this leads, um, I want to talk a little bit more about that, but I'm press on. This leads to my next main word. And that is... at the time here? Faith. Faith. That God is at work in our kids' hearts and lives even when we don't see it immediately. Um, I, I want to keep the guilty um, safe here. Um, but uh, I have a communication card at home from the, from the church thing that uh, I, I found. And, um, it, and uh, it says on there and kids' penmanship. Blah, 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 blah. B-L-A-H, I think written about 20 times, right? (laughs) And I just thought, you know what? That's wonderful, isn't it? Right? I mean, this is that part where we come to church and we bring our kids to church and we recognize that we need enormous amounts of faith to believe that God is at work in our kids' hearts do it, communicating all those benefits of His redemption that we believe is true even when they're lying on the floor or drawing cartoons or they seem to be in outer space. I mean, I've been kneeling before in prayer and confession of sin and have a tug on my coat and I look over and one of my children will say, Are the Buccaneers playing at one thirty today? <laughs> right. Um, are they on TV today? I'm like, uh, come on, man. You know, let's let's. let's no, I'm not going to talk about that right now. I I have uh today, Dad? Can we do that today, right? And and the ba- I, I, the bad thing is sometimes. Well, I was thinking about that too, actually. You know? <laughs> Listen to this quote from Eugene Peterson. This whole notion about faith and trusting that God is at work. In our lives and in our kids' lives, he says, when I observe the families where parents seem to be doing a decent job living the Christian life, the Christian faith, in relation to their children, it is readily apparent that actual practices vary widely. Particular rules, techniques of discipline, variations in strictness and permissiveness, they run the gamut. One thing stands out. These parents seriously, honestly, joyfully follow or seek to follow the ways of Christ themselves. I think that's a good word. It's a hopeful word to me, um, because you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe this is my own. Uh, it's my own insecurity at work. Right? Well, I mean, I guess this, you know, the, our children. I mean, they reveal our insecurities. At least they reveal mine, right? Um, you know, we, we we have so many different forms of parenting models, and 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 frankly, you know, some. I was a little bit cynical about this with you know our. One of our children, i will keeping you know unnamed, but you know, where, you know we you just struggle and we still struggle. Like, come, I mean we're talking all the time and, and disciplining all the time and trying to think creatively about new strategies of of, of improvement and and then you've got these other families and you're just like everything just seems to be. I mean you see their kids in church, they just sit there, they're perfectly well. And I mean this happened when um, you know when we had our we have three boys and we had a little girl. And, you know, this question that parents would ask, are they sleeping through the night, right? Which seemed to be a kind of litmus test of the skills that you brought to your parenting, you know. like are they sleeping through the night? Well, in fact, they're not. Um, And then the second one comes along. And now we have a little girl um, who's coming to our family. And guess what? She basically sleeps through the night from like week four on. And you know what our... Method was with her, no different than the other three. She's just different, right? And we have to give a lot of room, I think, in in the, in the context of church life for various parenting styles. I get very nervous when I mean when it becomes like a definitive style of parenting. And there's just going to be a broad array of things, and and it's been my experience. I don't know if it's been yours, where I've seen parents who have been, and I, I use this term very loosely, uh, successful, right? Their kids are they got jobs and they go to church. I've got a very low standard, right? That's my gut. They've got jobs and they go to church. I mean, this is what I'm hoping. And you see that and you go, that's been success. That's success. And the answer, whenever I sit down, I'm like, well, help us with this. You know, we're, we, we thought we know what we're doing, but we have no clue what we're doing. Help us with this. And, and I just think the answer, more often than not, has been we just pray a lot. for. Our, we prayed a lot for them. Um, we entered into a, I mean, we went to church, and that was just a non negotiable. They came with us, and, and we entered into that sort of, that, that was the rhythm of our lives, was, was, was Jesus and the gospel. We prayed, and, and there was a lot of yelling, and a lot of anger, and a lot of frustration, and then the list goes on. I mean, that, that's what I appreciate what Peterson is saying here. He's not calling us to a certain kind of method, he's calling us to faith, right? Not to parental performance but to embodying our identity as parents. And that in and of itself is an act of faith that God is at work in our children's lives above and beyond anything that I'm capable of doing. I mean, I don't know if you find yourself praying that. I pray it all the time. Lord, please do your work in their lives beyond my ability to whatever it is I do to try to communicate your truth to them. What wonderful story. My wife, when we first came to Advent, we'd come from a quasi-liturgical setting, um, but, but it was a little bit freer than what our tr- worship is here on a Sunday morning. And, and Fran Cade asked um, Na- my wife Naomi, how are the kids adjusting? And my wife's answer was not great, to be honest with you. I mean, it's not going real well. And, uh, and Fran just gave just such a wonder... I mean, my wife has held on to it to this day. She said, you'll be surprised, actually, even in the kind of language that's used in our liturgy, it's, it'll sink in. It'll sink in in ways that you don't even know and can't even anticipate. And what Fran said was, and we've been surprised to see that in moments of crisis in our children's lives, that it's the words of the liturgy that seem to kind of come back to them. Um, so I, I think that, that's a, that there's a, a large, large element of faith involved in this. Um, faith that God is at work in our kids' lives through the ritual and I use that with a lowercase r, but through the ritual of coming to church, singing together, seeing mom and dad in desperate need before the Lord as well, with all the frustration that comes along with that, in hopes that God will take these means, even when they seem to be checked out and in Mars land, that God will take these means and do his work in their lives and draw him to themselves. That's that's what we're hoping for. So it's faith. Um, All right, here are three practical thoughts, right? Um, Practical thought number one, and again, there is no law attached to this. This is just a thought. If you don't do this, have at it, right? But here's a practical thought. We, We have found, again, because it's normally controlled chaos or just chaos out the door to the van to get here, We've walked in. I love how the, our, our um, pro worship programs say, latecomers may now come in. I mean, that's like <laughs> walk of shame, right? I in. Mean, we, we're, we're those latecomers that come in late, too. I like, I get that. Um, but, we, but, but you might consider um, having one of your kids or just in the van or the car on the way to church just praying. Like, just asking one of the kids, say, will you say prayer today? Um, it's, it's, it doesn't need to be profound, but look, would you say a prayer that God would direct our hearts and open our hearts and minds to Him as we go to church today? Second practical thought is to value the time our children are with us in the service before they leave. And I know if you're like me, I can't wait till they leave, <laughs> right? I mean, I'm like, come on. I, 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 sometimes I'm like, oh, morning prayer, shoot! <laughs> So long before they leave, it's like the whole service—they're with us, right? Um, and I, I'm having—I'm t- having to remind myself. So this is me talking to Jinalette here. I'm having to have a conversation with myself that I don't—I just don't. Uh, parenting is my identity, right? And and the and the primary spiritual responsibility in the home is is with the mom and the dad as they lead their children. I don't get to turn that off on Sunday at nine when I walk in. Um, and, and to sort of value that time together, as frustrating as it can be. Now let me say something to you, I, and again, you've heard all this before. I'm in the trenches with you on this, but maybe this is a word of encouragement. I think our children's disruptive behavior is way more disruptive to us than most of the people around us. Um, and I, I, I'm, a, I'm a performer. I, I realize this in my own spiritual life, and I have to confess this before the Lord, but, but I'm like, you know, pinching and whatever, and I, I kid you, this is a true story. I had a Sunday morning where I thought, uh, surely the people around me see me sweating with red. I mean, I am angry at what's going on this Sunday morning. And I had a sweet old woman come up to me after the service and said, your children are so well behaved in church. And I was like, are you kidding? Like, did you see what happened? And all to say, what we're dealing with here in the row is not necessarily what the people around you are feeling. So I I just give you the word encouragement. But that time together before they leave in big church, I think it's so important, really important. And, I, and I'm and i stepping a little bit out. I mean, this is no law here, right? You do what you need to do. But I think the sooner that we can have our children stay with us through that service, the better, right? And that's going to be different for different families. I get it. None of ours stay yet. We've had a few stay, and that's because they were in trouble. But none of ours stay really all the, all the way through yet. But I would say the sooner they can stay through the whole service, is probably the better. Which leads me to my last point, and this is maybe my own act of self-protection, and that is Sunday morning, especially the 9 o'clock service, I really do think um, should be a no-judgment zone in church. Right? <laughs> a no-judgment zone. In other words, um, you know, we, we we all are struggling. right? We're all in the trenches. We're all wrestling with how um, to love our children and to Discipline our children, and how to bring worshiping a worshiping life and the faith into their sphe- into the, that, the sphere of their existence. We're all struggling with that together, and I, I just think it would be a, a, an enormous amount of encouragement to other families who come in, and uh, just to say, you know what, it's it's okay. Um, th- this is a no judgment zone. We can put up with a little noise, right, in a nine o'clock service, and and that's okay, um, because we're there training our children. To be worshippers. That's what we're doing. This is training ground, um, and that's that's uh, okay. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> um, let, let me hear your thoughts. I mean, what do you think? Well, maybe some things that how God has um, helped you think through these things, um, um, questions, conflicts, frustrations, anything. Well, what what do you want to what do you want to share, Elizabeth? Yeah.
1: different
0: way of worshiping in uh-huh. the white church and that's just kind of another something yeah. that you can do yeah. the way church. It sort of sets Even the tone. And times, and yeah. it, it sort of exposes them to a different way of worship. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, anyway. Yeah. Thanks,
1: Elizabeth. That's helpful. Mark, I love that verse. I can't remember where it is but it talks about something about I plan to see but it's God's good in the end of this thing.
0: That's a great question. Yeah, that's a great question. A kind of like yeah, this is fun. this is part of the. And Again, I'm not. Um, I, I have you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a I'm a kind of a lone ranger this morning, so I there's I speak with no authority, right? And but so I, th- I speak with some practicality on this. Um. Both of our older boys, William and Jackson, are now communing members and that process has been where the way in which it worked here and I don't know if this is a formal thing but this is what we were asked to do the boys came they spent some time with Elizabeth Wilson talking through um, communion and the significance of communion they spent a couple hours with her actually and then after that they had a meeting with Canon Gibbs and it was very kind of formal and I mean it was it was a big deal in other words we walked in and and it wasn't uh I mean, Canon Joe was Canon Joe at that moment, and asking them direct questions and why do you want to do this, and um, so I think there is that process there, but I think our children will show interest in the sacrament if they see it. You see, you know, there's like being proximate to it. We, in our church before all the children, this is a little bit different because it's not the way it is here. But all the children came back into church before communion was taken. Well, that. What that did was that caused the children to begin to ask questions. So the reason why my boys are communing is not because we've necessarily pushed them to that, but they have seen it and they've wanted to do it. And at times it's silly, you know, like I want to drink some wine and, you know, I mean, as I get that. But when you press it, I think when they start showing interest in that is the point, as seems to me to be the point to pursue that. And planting seeds, like you say, where God gives an increase, planting seeds of interest in this. What do you think about that? When Mommy and Daddy do that, I, I think that that. So that's a discerning thing. And the nice thing I, I do appreciate this very much about our church is we have parishioners and we have Elizabeth, we have others who will help us as parents discern whether or not I think this is a time where they're ready. They're ready to commune, and there's a process for that. So I think the question's a really important one. Um, and I, you know, I think that. You know getting the, our children to the table is a is a very good thing um, so yeah I, I don't know if that answers your question at all King but but um, we have thought a lot about that as a as a as a family and and it's uh, you know it's that, that's a moving target that I think takes discernment and it takes the discernment of the body um, and and that's you know going to be different for different different families I believe yeah yes sir.
2: I feeling a lot of anxiety about <laughs> <laughs> everything. <that> static, everything? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's going to be like the kids are an age. So we go over to this house, and, a friend's house, and my daughter is not like jumping in the middle of all the other kids. You know, she's kind of like cruising out the backyard and doing her own thing, kind of hanging on me. So I'm like, pick her up, and I'm like, put her in the middle of the kids. So I'm like, okay, come in. She comes back out. I'm like, all right, going to go hang with the other kids? You know? <laughs> and so finally, I really felt the Holy Spirit come into me and be like, this is not her issue. It's your issue. You know, it was my insecurity about, you know, is she having a good time? Is she typical? Like, why is she not doing this, et cetera, et cetera. And I really felt the peace of Christ come into me and just say, just chill out. You know, and within an hour, she was hanging out with everybody, and it was perfect, and everybody was having a great time. And I got in the car, and I really felt Christ, or I felt the need to say thank you for that. Hmm. Thank you for the peace that Hmm. you provided me. And I just grabbed her hand, and we were driving down Euclid, and I said, Let's say a prayer. And that is not me. I mean, it, it. I knew it was from the Holy Spirit and I still felt weird doing it. But, you know, you just I I felt you know, and then I got over my parents' house where we were having dinner and I told them the story and they were like, you know, that's just Christ moving in our life and I think even when it feels weird just grab their hand and say, you know, let's return thanks for just a little thing that happened in your life. And I mean I screw up parenting one million times a day. Sure. But I felt yesterday
0: that it yeah. was not really intervening. You know? That's a good word. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. You know, I think we struggle I don't know. I mean I, you know, I'm I, I know I struggle with the whole performance side of parenting. I think that's something that we um the the roots in that kind of thing go real deep. And I think we all we all at least I know that I, I deeply struggle with that. Um, and so this is where parenting of our children it becomes a kind of crucible for the parenting of our own souls right I mean as we as we look into that um, and every once in a while you get these lightning flash moments where I mean I had a moment with my middle son Jackson and he was the one he's the one it's getting a lot better now I'd say and I believe this is God's work in his life but I mean we went through a year and a half where every, every the sidewalk into church every Sunday it was church is boring church is boring this is boring this is boring, this is boring right and then one Sunday morning, he looks over at me, and he says, Dad, I think I'm, I'm liking this, right? I could almost burst into tears, you know? It's like, well, all right. And then the next week, it was boring again. But, so you'll have these sort of lightning flashes of, of moments where you go, okay, God, you know, this is you at work, and you're working on me as well. And, um, Yeah. <laughs> Any other questions or comments? I want, I want. Yes, ma'am.
1: I did it wrong I, I'm here because i made so many mistakes one thing I urge everybody is when you pick your children up or when you go home after worship do not watch what your mouth says the tongue has the power of life or death and if your children hear you criticize the sermon, the music, the Sunday school lesson, whatever, try to control your tongue and not let them hear that. It's just so easy for us to find a way to first So um, just beware what you say to your children Mm. because the tongue does have the power of
0: life or death. That's a very good word. I mean, I just heard a sermon recently on James three that talks about the you know the tongue is the smallest member, yet it can set a whole forest on fire. And and if you and James says if you can control your tongue, you are a perfect person. Which means, guess what? We can't. Right? I mean, we struggle with our tongues, and that is such a good word. And I think, you know, another um, just to kind of flesh this out as well, letting letting our our tongues as well be quick to ask for forgiveness and to and to own it in front of our children. Which, frankly, has become rather repetitive in my house. I mean, you know, it's like, did that again, and I'm sorry about that. I mean, I think it's, it's good for our children to see that we're, we're sinners in need of a Savior. Um, I've got a, a son who's got a sensitive spirit. He's sensitive. And I can just hear him now saying to me, I can't do it. I want to, but I can't do it. And what a great gospel moment. You're right. right? I mean, we, Daddy needs. Daddy's 38 years old. He needs Jesus just as much as you do today. Um, and, and we need a Savior. So I, I appreciate that. That's a good word. Okay, let me close this in prayer. Father, thank you for Advent Church. Thank you for the families that are represented here. And God, you know that we're jealous for our kids. Um, we're jealous, Lord. We're zealous that, that, Lord, you would grab their hearts and show them what the ultimate good is in life. Lord, what we heard today in our sermon. Would you carve out a place in the rock for our children and would you put them there? You put them there in the safety of your wing, knowing that they're yours and that you love them and that even in their suffering which they will face and in the pleasure that they will face, that, Lord, you are guiding their steps. And I pray, God, that you'll give us faith and hope and trust to believe that the gospel is true and that it's true for us and that it's true for our children. And we ask these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right.